teachers are leaders. And we're here to emphasize the good in education, one practice, method, idea, or trend at a time. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Teachers Are Leaders podcast, brought to you by the Warren Instructional Network, and I'm your host, Andrea Coachman. I could not be more excited to be joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Cindy Wadley. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Cindy. Um, okay, for those of you who are not besties with Cindy, like I am, Cindy is one of those who spent years in the classroom doing the hard work of literacy instruction before she moved into central office in a couple different roles and then joined our team, which is why I am so lucky now to call her a friend and a colleague. But Cindy, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of how you ended up where you are today? Okay, well, this is my 35th year in education, Ooh. and I started out in a second grade classroom in a little district called Holly ISD, and they are in the state football playoffs this year. Nice! So they are making a name for themselves. So I started teaching second grade there, and then I moved to Wiley um, ISD in Abilene, and I taught second grade, and then I'd always wanted to teach first grade um, because I wanted kids to have a strong foundation in reading. And so I taught first grade, second grade around 19 years. And after that, I got my master's in instructional technology from Texas Tech. It was all online. Um, and then I kind of moved into doing um you know, the interactive whiteboards, that was back when those were big. Mm -hmm. I did some training with Promethean, um, traveled and did training with them, and um, worked at Region 14 as a technology um, consultant. And then um, I had the opportunity to go back to Wiley ISD uh, as their curriculum director, um, being admitted and administration wasn't really one of my goals, but uh, Mr. Joey Light convinced me that I needed to come back and work with curriculum and technology um, at Wiley ISD. And while I was there, I got my principal as well as my superintendent certification. And so I was at Wiley about six to seven years. Um, and then I had an opportunity to go to Abilene ISD and I, first went as the technology, instructional technology coordinator for the district. And that lasted for about three months because they found out I had curriculum experience. <laughs> and then I ended up being, um, I started with uh, K through eight, uh, doing um, English language arts. And then they added um, in, uh, bilingual ESL director. And so I did that about four to five years. And um, during that time, we um, needed to do something with how we were teaching literacy in Abilene because we had 17 different campuses. Mm -hmm. Everyone was kind of doing their own thing. And so we put together a literacy plan for the district to get all teachers on the same page uh, because our 
students were highly mobile. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'd go to three to four different campuses a year or maybe more. And we realized that they needed to see the same um, instructional routines. They needed to hear the same instructional language. Mm -hmm. And so we started with K through two one summer, um, improving literacy instruction. And then we did third through fifth grade. And we were going, we were moving up through the grade levels just to make sure that we were all on, on the same page. Um, at the district level, you know, going down to the campus level. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like that is so important for our schools to do is we can't operate in our own little boxes. Mm -hmm. We need to have, we need to have that. Um, oh, we just need to have that connectiveness Absolutely. because we work together as a district. Um, because if we don't, then we're all on our own little islands and it's just kind of a big hot mess. Yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like that's, um, I mean, it's hard to work in the central office because mm -hmm. you have so many moving pieces, but I feel like there's certain things we have to do at the district level to ensure that there's connectedness and cohesiveness uh, with our instruction. Um, for all, all of our students. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, that's the goal. You want every student to experience the same, you, you know, level of education through the curriculum, through the teaching. Right. That's awesome. It is hard. That is it a is. hard, yeah, a hard it role. Is. It is very hard. Yeah. And so then you joined the Warren Instructional Network. I did. Yes. And December, I retired um, from public education in 2016 and started with more an instructional network. I was so scared. But every time I took on new responsibility as, you know, going to the central office, mm -hmm. I've always thought, oh, you know, what have I, I've gotten myself into this. I would always end up going home and crying about it to my family and saying, I don't think I can do this. But um, in the end, I've realized that um, I could, um, it's just always, you know, anytime you take on a, a new role, whether it be a mother, mm -hmm. you know, whether it be, um, even teaching, mm -hmm. you know, I know I felt that same way when I started teaching, but, um, anytime, um, I think we just have to saturate, saturate ourselves with information and, um, do what's best mm -hmm. no. for our students. Absolutely. Well, and you, you know, you haven't stopped that. Even, even on our team, you feel like every year take on a different, a different project, a different role. I mean, you finished your doctorate. Yeah. Yes. Thanks to COVID. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> because it was hey. so busy during the adoption. And mm -hmm. yeah. And once I got started, yeah, I was able to finish in 2021. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. And you, I mean, you haven't stopped though. You part, you participated in the reading academies. Yeah. So, you know, staying current on those trends exactly. and what, what we know, what we don't know, what we're learning, what mm -hmm. the research is telling us. And so, and now here we are. Yes. Okay. So before we kind of dig into a little deeper on, you know, passion and things like that, can you think back through all of your experience, you know, in public education and come up with a favorite memory, something that sticks with you or always has stuck with you? Well, I think it's always fun as a teacher, you know, to be in the grocery store line and you see students, former students that now have 
teenagers. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It makes you feel so old. Um, but probably one of my uh, favorite memories um, is just, you know, sometimes we just don't understand um, what kids are thinking. Mm -hmm. And so my first year of teaching, it was with, within the first couple of months, we were doing the human body, we drew, <laughs> um, you know, took the butcher paper, drew around our human body. And every day we would talk about parts of the human body that go out in the hall and glue them on, um, glue them on their person in the hall. And then I'd go out and I'd look at them and take a grade to evaluate. And this one day I went out in the hall and I'm, we had talked about kidneys that day. And so I go out in the hall and I'm looking and I get to this uh, one little boy's body. Um, his name was Jacob and I'm looking for his kidneys around his stomach area and I don't see him. And then I see him on his knees. Oh. <laughs> It made me realize that sometimes when we're teaching in the classroom, what our students' perceptions are compared to what, you know, that there's always misconceptions. Mm -hmm. And so how do we, you know, how do we make sure that our instruction, um, it gets across where they can master that? Yes. So obviously, Jacob heard kid needs. Right. And he very literal. Was, yeah, very <laughs> literal. He he was a very literal child. And so I think um, it just speaks to me about instruction and how important it is for us as teachers to know our students. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we talk about Reading Academy, we use all different kinds of assessment, but it, the bottom line is we have to know our students and our instruction needs to match our mm -hmm. students and so we know um, if we have to go back down and teach something that they did not get right um, any misconception then we do that because they can't move forward until we fill in those gaps for right them. no absolutely so. I love that sweet Jacob this kidney yes <laughs> it's kidney that is awesome yes okay so thinking about the the nitty-gritty of why you know, I wanted you to be on here and be a guest. I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit when you were talking about, you know, why you wanted to move from second grade to first grade, mm -hmm. but it just how important literacy instruction is for all students. So just kind of talk to us about, you know, what, like your beliefs and your thoughts, and especially, you know, knowing everything, taking everything that you've learned over all of your educational experiences mm -hmm. and what do, what do we need to know and what do we need to do? Well, and, and you and I've talked about this mm -hmm. um, and we talk about it as a team all the time. Um, you know, the reading wars, mm -hmm. um, science of reading. Um, we know, um, you know, I've taught reading academies in 2000 and then here we are having teachers go through reading academies again. Mm -hmm. And so we know it's to get everyone on the same page about reading instruction, about seeing, you know, what data do we use on our students? How do we get that data? Mm -hmm. um, how do we make sure our instruction is explicit and systematic? And so thinking about that, um, just trying to wrap my brain around everything that's being said. Right, because it, it's a lot. Oh yeah, <laughs> it is a lot. And so thinking about, and you know, in 2000, we didn't have social media. Right. But we um, as I've studied, like for my doctorate, you know, just going back and looking at reading policy mm -hmm. and how reading policy 
you know, we had Johnny can't read, you know, we right. had that back in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, Johnny can't read, but it's, I mean, what puzzles me is we're still having that same problem even today. Right. And so how do we get that right um, for our students? Um, and so, you know, I shared with you that I've just been keeping a folder mm-hmm. because when this started coming out, I'm like, okay, what, you know, how does this fit into how I taught reading instruction as a first grade teacher? Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I, I think we have, we can't get away from meeting the individual needs of students. Right. And so we can't teach all the same way yeah. all the time. Right. And so I think looking at our resources um, and we know there's not a program, there's not one program, there's not a basal, right. there's not one thing that does everything we need it to do to teach kids to read. Mm-hmm. And so what do we do? And so I've just gathered resources, um, you know, to make more sense of it. Absolutely. One book that helped me to make more sense of it was um, Birkins and... Mm. Uh, Yates, mm-hmm. their book, Shifting the Balance. Yes. And the thing I love about that book is it takes a stance of looking what's going on in your classroom now, but then how can we re- refine that to reflect what we know about the science of reading? So for instance, um, you know, orthographic mapping, mm-hmm. and we talk about that a lot um, in Reading Academy. So how do we teach kids not only to hear the sounds, but how to make sense of that context. Mm -hmm. So if they hear the word card, you know, okay, you activate, you hear the sound card. Okay. You hear that sound, but then your brain is also making meaning with that. Okay. What kind of card is it? Mm. You know, is it a birthday card? Is it a business card? what kind of card is it? Mm -hmm. And so we have to have, and it's like that little filing cabinet in our brain Mm -hmm. when we're going through, okay, what kind of card, Mm -hmm. or, you know, if you hear, or if you're sounding out a word and trying to connect that to something that you already know. For sure. And so, you know, just the importance of that. um, And so they talk about that orthographic mapping. Um, They also talk about, you know, one of the things you hear all the time in the reading uh, science of reading is, you know, the three queuing system. Right. MSV. MSV. That's <laughs> right. But I think when we when we slow down and think about it, and they talk about this in one of their chapters of the book, is we always have, um, you know, phonics and that phonological awareness that's right. always at the base. Okay. Because we always want our kids to look at the words first, especially in kindergarten, first grade, when they've got that foundation. Mm-hmm. We always want them to look at the word first, you know, before we have them go to pictures. And so it's saying, you know, do you see a part in that word that you know? Mm-hmm. And, or, you know, what sound does that letter make at the beginning of that word? And so, and I always felt like in the classroom when I did that, my students, um, they're attending to the print. Right. But we know they also have to attend to how does our language sound. Right. But they also, you know, using visual information, letter to sound, sound to letter, um, and then also using meaning. For sure. Um, because we know if we don't have, when we look at the 
Scarborough's reading room. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that we have to have not only uh, we have to have language comprehension, but we have to have that um, word recognition also. And so seeing how all of that goes together um, and their book just really helps to look and reflect on what we're doing in our classrooms um, and how it can impact instruction. Yeah. Well, and they definitely provide some of those like applicable oh. things you can do. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Yes, very much so. Um, another, you know, um, one of the things I found online is just, you know, fact, fact checking the science of reading, a mm. quick guide for teachers. Okay. And so we think about how many times do we hear, um, we hear something in education or mm-hmm. it gets reported, you know, in the paper, um, or we hear it now we have social media, oh we're gosh. just inundated right. with so much Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, Facebook yeah. um, Instagram, right. And so I think as teachers and administrators, we have to beware of how the science of reading is used. Mm -hmm. And so because it's such a hot topic right now, um, how is that science, how is science of reading used? Um, We have to make sure, I think we I think we all have to go back and look at the historical context. Absolutely. And um, Dr. Rachel Gabriel, she's written a book on just policies mm-hmm. and how policies have influenced um, instruction in our classrooms. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, we don't never hear like math. No. You know, mm-hmm. we don't hear that about math. We don't hear that about social studies and science. We never hear the same amount of information Mm -hmm. about teachers not getting that instruction right right English language arts instruction right um there's always a critical analysis Mm -hmm. of how it's being taught Mm -hmm. um in our classrooms and right now there's so much legislation coming from our states like almost all of our states now have um policies right and lawmakers are making policies about that so, you know, sometimes we know how big Texas is. Yeah. And so do they really know what's best for a small school district in West Texas? Right, absolutely. Or, you know, compared to large districts in mm-hmm. Fort Worth, Dallas. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't think we can go uh, at the state level and say this is good for all kids. No. Um, because we're so diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have our... Uh, English language learners, um, we're just trying to do the best we can do. Mm -hmm. And so how do we look at that? So uh, Rachel Gabriel's written a book about um, just reading policy. Well, she's edited the book just about reading policies. Mm -hmm. And that is called How Educational Policy Shapes Literacy Instruction. It's very expensive, but they're supposed to be coming out with a paperback. Oh, nice. Um, That's not as expensive. (laughs) Awesome. And then um, Paul, um, Dr. Paul Thomas has written a book called How to End the Reading Wars and Meet the Needs, Literacy Needs of All Students. Mm. And so, yeah, like I said, I have that whole folder of information going back and looking at information mm-hmm. and making it make sense 
we can't go all the way over to one side. I mean, we have to use some common sense Absolutely. with everything that we hear. And so taking and looking at, um, for instance, just all the information out there and making sense of mm-hmm. what we hear. Right. And so I think we also have to be good consumers of research. Yes. And so uh, Birkins and the Apes talk about that in their book, Shifting the Balance. Mm -hmm. And they also talk about how research, you know, funnels down to um, making applications Mm -hmm. to our classroom instruction. Mm -hmm. And so we have to, I think, number one, we have to, we have to make decisions based on there's not a magic bullet. Right. Which, um, right. Because if there were, we would have found it. It would already be, it would be yeah. in teachers' hands, in classrooms, in districts. It, we wouldn't be having this conversation over and over and over. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. And so like uh, Paul Thomas says in his, his book, all teachers and all students doing the same things at the same time, being held accountable for following a mandated program. Mm. So many times that's what's happening in our classrooms. Right. And it's the grand failure. Yeah. I mean, he says it's the grand failure, but then we have, now we have our state legislators mm-hmm. making, you know, policies and uh, making laws that say we have to do this or we don't have to do that. Right. And really it boils down to the expertise of teachers. Yes. And so how do we make our teachers better at teaching kids how to read? Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, professional development comes in for sure we just have to make sure that we're building our teachers yes and if we just give them a script Mm. it's not going to be meeting it's not responsive to the needs of our students well no and if the script isn't on par with where those students are then it doesn't matter anyway exactly yeah that's exactly right and so thinking about number one we know there's a shortage shortage of teachers yes Number two, we have more teachers leaving the profession mm-hmm. than ever before. Mm-hmm. And so how do we support teachers? Yes. And we know it takes, I mean, I realized the first year that I taught school and I thought about reading. I mean, I did, I mean, from coming from the university's perspective mm-hmm. that I didn't. I didn't know some of the things I thought I should know. Mm-hmm. For instance, phonics instruction, you know, back in, this was 87, 86, 87. And I mean, my phonics instruction w- dealt with just taking the re- the little reading book mm-hmm. and making index cards with all the different um, phonetic phonics and phonetic rules. Mm-hmm. But it didn't really teach me how to, right. how do I teach kids right. and how do I do this? And so I think our universities can help us in that respect. For sure. And I think um, that I think universities are doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they're graduating students that don't have to take the reading academy now if they mm-hmm. pass the science of reading exam. So how do we best meet the needs? of our teachers coming into the profession Mm -hmm. as well as our teachers that are in the profession um we just want to I mean we're always learning yeah I mean every day I'm learning something new there's not a day Mm -mm. that I have I don't learn something new some of it's I'm like 
some of it sometimes my husband will say you didn't know that right (laughs) why didn't you teach me yeah I'm like no I'm trying to think of something even the other day um just trying to think of things where and it might be just a misconception that I had for sure that you don't realize that you have until someone points it out to you mm-hmm. and so thinking yeah just thinking about I want for the next generation I want them to have experiences with quality literature absolutely I want them to have experiences in the classroom that build their love for reading yes and writing yes because it's so I just think about well this is it's almost what 10 days from Christmas it is and so I'm thinking about how I loved reading like the legend of the poinsettia mm-hmm. uh, and saying you know I would almost make me cry when I read it to right. my kids and right. all those different that literature and Hanukkah mm-hmm. you know just yeah. teaching them you know we're diverse we yes. have different everyone has different beliefs mm-hmm. but giving them that experience in the classroom because you want them to experience that joy of being read to yep. that joy of learning to read and that joy of writing yeah and so I'm passionate about that. That is clear, Cindy. That is clear. (laughs) But I'm passionate about it. But, you know, um, Paul Thomas says in his book, robust literacy strategy for schools should include instead of retention, retention and testing the following, we want to give our kids access to books yes and if they don't have books at home how do we get them in their homes um we want to make sure they have access to books in their schools and we want them to give them access to independent reading that's where they're applying anything i'm teaching small group instruction anytime i'm teaching that how do i guarantee every student a fully informed literacy instruction based on their literacy needs. And then thinking about the standards and testing disaster. Yes. How it dominates our class. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, when you talk to teachers that are in those tested grades, they have that added pressure of the star test. For sure. And they have that added pressure of now with, you know, the extended response and the constructed response. Mm -hmm. So how do we give them it's not all about the test. And right. so many times if they haven't passed the test in third grade, we just start maybe the first few weeks of school, we start doing star prep already. Mm-hmm. And then for those kids that are striving readers, we're just reinforcing what they know already that I'm not a good enough reader to pass that test. Right. It dominates. It dominates mm-hmm. them. And it, no one, no kid at eight, years old in third grade should feel like they're a failure no and so my goal is always to teach teachers work with teachers to make it better for them in addressing student needs so you may have kids in third or fourth or fifth grade that don't have phonological awareness Mm -hmm. we just don't go on and teach we go back and I want to give those teachers the tools they need to know okay, this is how you can help students, Mm -hmm. even at the junior high and high school level. Oh yeah. Where we have students that are still striving. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're striving, they're doing the best they can. But if I'm in a junior high or high school classroom and I'm doing a novel study, 
and we're reading a novel, but the novel is so high above their reading where they, they are, they can't access mm-hmm. it. So how do we make it accessible to them? And how do we make them feel good about what yeah. they're doing in school? And how do we help them become better readers and writers? Yes. Well, and I do think the awesome thing, at least for us in Texas and about our standards is that you, I mean, you were a part of that process, yes. the teach writing and the revision, but they do build upon each other. They and do. so, you know, at, you know, me came from that secondary mm-hmm. background. I mean, I only taught high school, right. but then worked with sixth through 12th grade teachers. And I feel like that was the beginning of me seeing, well, one, I, I knew in my classroom, there were students who couldn't read, Exactly. But I didn't know, right. nor was I taught. How do, how do you, you, yeah. How do I teach a 10th mm-hmm. grader how to read? Exactly. But so what I hear you saying is number one, we have to be good stewards of the research. Exactly. We cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. Exactly. But we do. And I, I feel like I love Scarborough's rope because it does provide that visual of mm-hmm. if we're going to get to comprehension, we have to do both. Or if we're going to get to fluency, right. we have to have the comprehension and that phonics right, foundation, right? They weave together. Exactly. But then also we have to build up our teachers. We have to continue honing their craft through professional development. Exactly. Yeah, that is exactly right. And then just, yeah, teaching them. And I know when we went to Austin and we were working on, I was on the K through two committee, but mm-hmm. I, one of my colleagues was on the bilingual, the Spanish mm-hmm. You know, when we went to Austin, they said, we don't want you to rewrite the TEKS. We want you to streamline them. So mm-hmm. we, we have vertical as well as horizontal alignment. I love that. And I, you can see that how yeah. every from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, yep. how the standards build upon each other. Mm-hmm. So knowing that, you know, am I, if I'm a fourth grade teacher, well, I have to realize that, yes, there's phonics TEKS for me, Mm -hmm. but I may have students, you know, that don't have that phonological awareness. So where do I go? Shifting the balance is great for that because it gives you tools Mm -hmm. to know, okay, here's your stepping stone skills for phonological awareness Mm -hmm. and here's your power skills. And so just doing those simple assessments to help with that is so helpful with knowing what those students need. Mm -hmm. And then also our, you know, sixth through 12th grade teachers that have those students that don't know how to read, then giving them tools to help them, you know, do they know the six, just teaching teachers at that grade level, the six syllable types. Mm -hmm. And then going back to you know, looking at Scarborough's reading rope, we also have Joan Sedita's writing rope now also. Mm. And so looking at that and how, how do we give explicit writing instruction to our students too? Mm-hmm. And so I love, I mean, look it up. I'll put it in the resources, yes, but perfect. we have that, you know, those strands that are woven into skilled writing. Mm. And so thinking about how that fits into, but I think it's, so important to give teachers that professional development right and okay if kids don't know how to read how do we teach them how do we teach them Mm -hmm. and I know when I worked in Abilene we could get refugees from all over the world and they would spend the first year at a campus Mm -hmm. to kind of learn the social and 
get all of that you know they're in a new culture yeah Yeah. you know how you know this is how (laughs) it works but then the next year they were put on their regular campus based on where they lived and I would have teachers call me all the time I don't know what to do Mm -hmm. because they don't you know, they're not proficient in speaking English. No. They're getting there, but we know it takes three to five years, mm-hmm. you know, to build that language, you know, what they need to know. And so how do I break it down for teachers? Mm-hmm. I love that. Eek. Yay. Well, and you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned it a couple of times you have a folder. And so what I will do is include that link in the notes for okay. the episode. So everybody can access that. And then you know, as always, I mean, thanks, thanks for being Uh-oh. here. Thanks, well, for, thanks for having me. <laughs> and I just love everything the Warren Instructional Network does to support teachers mm-hmm. and as administrators. Okay. Well, I feel like you and I could have 75 other episodes and, you know, maybe at some point we'll, we'll do that. We'll trickle them in. Yes. That sounds great. <laughs> well, thanks for being here today. And I'll also put, if you do not follow Cindy on Twitter, definitely give her a follow there. And as always, feel free to follow us on Twitter. We are at Warren INPD and feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for being here, Cindy. Thank you, Andrea. (laughs) Thank you for all you do to help us. Oh, hey, I'm here for it. (laughs) All right. Talk to you later.